Welcome back to Simon and White, the podcast at the crossroads of media, business, and politics. I'm Christian White, and joined, as always, by Mark Simon. Mark, please say hello. Hey, everybody. How are you? Mark, you're about to go over to Fantasy Island, right? Taiwan, which has yeah. its presidential election, I think, January 15, 13. I'm getting it mixed up with 13, the Iowa yeah. caucus. Okay. 13. Um, and widely expected that the incumbent party will get an extension with a new president, with William Lai, the successor to President saying when both of the, the DPP, the Democrat Progressive Party, the nominally sort of skeptical of Beijing, formerly pro-independence, but not too fancy about it, uh, and will prevail over not just the KMT opponent, but against um, an independent. But the DPP is having having a bit of trouble. They're not, uh, they may not have a majority in the legislative wheel which is their version of Congress, uh, which will make for some, some difficult governing mm-hmm. Uh, decisions in the economy over there is 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 okay, but but not great, and certainly not what you think of with uh, in terms of an Asian tiger that ought to be growing fast and providing a lot of investment opportunities, a lot of employment opportunities, etc. So, is that the right way to size things up? What are you expecting as you you look over the horizon there? I, I think what we've seen is, you know, essentially. It always seems to break down out around, you know, 40 percent for the DPP, 33, 34 percent for the KMT and then 29 or whatever. You know, in other words, it's it's one, two, three Uh with always 13 or 14 percent undecided. And, you know, if you're if you're basically a week out and you're undecided, you're a moron. You know, in other words, those people are probably (laughs) not going to vote. I mean, that's that's really if you think about it. I mean, in America, what do we say? Most people have made their decision by the first week in September, second week in September, who they like, who they're going to vote for. I think the DPP knows this. Um, the Lately, the commercials they've been running have been very much go DPP, stay with us. You know, it's about voter turnout now for them. Um, I think the KMT has done much better than people have thought. Um, the screeching voices of the DPP, I call them the arts and crafts people. It's a, it's really shocking how few business people or entrepreneurs the DPP has. In other words, every time I meet one, somebody goes, oh, he's a big businessman. I'm going like, oh, yeah, he's the public affairs guy or something like that. You know what I'm saying? In other words, there's just so few people in the business community aren't hostile to the DPP, but they know that they're not going to get what they want. It's still a very much left leaning party. So the economy is the main issue in Taiwan. It really is. The DPP always wants it to be China because that helps them. It's kind of like their abortion issue for the Democrats. In other words, we're going to go to that. We're going to get these voters. Um, I, I put the similarities very, very close. Um, I think the DPP wins. Um, I, I think that basically the rationale really is, is that nobody really, a lot of people just don't trust the KMT. Um, the KMT vice president, Jossai Kong, is actually a very good campaigner and he's a very smart guy and he's a very decent guy in many ways. Um, I, I've met him a couple of times, um, but he's kind of old school. I don't think they trust him. I think uh, Ho um, uh, is the, the new, the DPP lead, KMT lead candidate mayor. I think he's a much better candidate than we've seen out of the KMT before. He's good on his feet. He's good on the street. But again, it's that lingering KMT problem. Um, you know, it's like their philosophy is nobody under the age of 40 will vote for us. And we're proud of it, <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, mm. and so that's their problem. Uh, Mayor Koo, 
the TPP, which is really his personal party is the way I look at it, is a disaster in every way. But he's managed to let everybody put all their hopes on him. All the young people love him, everything like that. And I, I, I bet he doesn't get 15% of the vote. I, I think it's going to be flat. Here's the issue that really is the problem for the TPP, DPP. I think Chai got 53% of the vote in 2020. That's pretty impressive. 53% is a solid win in a, in a democratic society. I don't think Lai and the DPP break 45 this time. Um, if they don't, I think it's highly unlikely they pull the legislative wand with them. I think they lose that. It becomes split between the DPP, the KMT, and the uh, and the and the TPP. I don't think the TPP goes into alliance with the with the DPP. I know they'll try, but it won't happen. Um, and so I do think what we're gonna what we're gonna see is split government. That's probably not the worst thing though, largely because I think it'll stop the DPP from their worst aspects of them in terms of basically provoking China. I thought there was a very good editorial by David Rennie. I'm sure he won't hear this, but if he did, very of the economist who basically said, look, the DPP people in their hearts of hearts still like independence. And everybody knows it. They still want, they chafe. Why can't we be an independent country? Unfortunately, they do that knowing full well that's the expense of American lives. In other words, it's the biggest problem I have with the DPP. I think they are reckless with American lives. I think that started with Chen Xu Bin, and I think they've never really stopped. I think in fairness to President Tai, I think she was not. But I think the core of the party, the heart of the party, and I meet these guys all the time, and they give me a hard time all the time, they really want to know why the U.S. is not going to make them, you know, let them do what they want to do. And I think that's a huge problem. But my real thing is, if he doesn't get 45%, he doesn't get the um, he doesn't get the one. The other part of not having that 45% is I do think the KMT and the Chinese will be causing trouble quite a bit. You know, they'll almost set up a shadow government around them. And they'll be cutting deals with mayors and with townships and with, you know, all kinds of different people over there around them. Huh, so I it's, think it's going to be yeah. interesting. But I do think that I do think the DPP wins the, the, the main show. And um, we'll see what happens on the uh, in the legislative one. Yeah, maybe this is over, an oversimplification, but it does seem a little bit like a situation then of John Major or George H.W. Uh, Bush, where um, not that Tsai Ing-wen is Ronald Reagan or Margaret Thatcher, but um, you just you know have this decay in incumbent parties over time and you see the opposition trying different things, uh, still making some of its old mistakes. If you look at, at what it took to get Tony Blair uh, to be the leader of the Labour Party in the UK or Bill Clinton to be the Democrat nominee here, it took a lot of of very unique circumstances. It wasn't just the party got together and said, gee, we've been out of party power for an awful long time. Let's uh, straighten up and fly right. But um, looking ahead, it seems like a forecast of uh, political turbulence in Taiwan. and um, Which is, and, which and is not the worst thing. Other than the military, and I think the military purchases are taken care of for two reasons. The first thing is they're going to ram them through right now. They're already, you know, they're, I mean, they're not rammed, but they're already through. The second thing is, unfortunately, in my perspective, the U.S. has given a little bit too much aid to Taiwan. So in other words, they don't need the legislative wand to do this now. 
Um, and so, you know, in other words, they're going to get what they need, but they just announced, I think it was 60 more fighters and, you know, coming and all these things. But look, in fairness to the Taiwanese also, it was like, we're not delivering the stuff. You know, I think, I think the backlog is above 20 billion now. Somebody told me the other day, it's really 20 billion that they paid for. And it's like, when is it coming? Oh, it's in Ukraine. Oh, when is it coming? I mean, you know, the Japanese are shipping stuff to us and other places. So, I, yeah. I I think we're going to watch this election. I'll be over there. You know, if you want to do, we can talk about it after it happens. Um, no special insights other than really, it has really literally been the same numbers for the last two or three months. In other words, it really hasn't changed much. Um, but I think I think the DPP will have a better get out the vote campaign. They tend to be very good at that, and we'll see what happens. I'm we'll have, I wouldn't be surprised if the KMT you know, scores above 35% because I think the TPP people are not going to show up. I, re- I really don't think they're going to show up, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think that's it. And the last time around 2020, uh, earlier, saying when the, who was in her first term uh, faced a, a primary challenge, if I recall correctly, from Vice yep. President Lai, now likely to be elected president, um, was in trouble, some of the same problems with the economy. But then Hong Kong happened and there was uh, you know, the crackdown there, just Beijing reminding people of its brutality and its penchant for breaking promises and um, you know the complete destruction of one party, two systems. Well, uh, one we country. can talk about it. We might as well jump to Hong Kong now because you know, I'm definitely <laughs> yeah, yeah. involved. I think you are too a little bit there. I've seen your picture up there a little bit there. Which yes, is yeah, I think it's really you looked more you looked more sinister. I think I, I am. They're, I, I do. They're, they're I do good have. at catching you. I was, they, they they must have like had a guy hiding in the bushes. So some of the pictures I've seen of you in Hong Kong media of uh, you know I think they, I, they probably caught you in the morning when you're walking out. You're like that. No, yeah, um, it's, it's 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 meant it's meant to be. I actually heard a story one time, and I don't know if it's true or not, but apparently there was a pretty good picture of me in East Week magazine. And so everybody said that's a really good picture of Mark, and it was the last time we ever saw it. <laughs> it was like it's like a good picture of him. And I don't, I'm, as people can tell, I don't take a really good picture. I'm not, I'm a, I have a voice, I have a face for radio, you know. But it was really, I, I love this race. Look, um, it's difficult for me. I mean, it's easier for you, but it's, it's difficult for us because, you know, we don't want to say anything that's going to that's going to hurt the defense. But by the same token, we know the end result here. Um, it's very amusing to me sometimes. And I, I say it's amusing when I meet people or I talk to people who say, oh, well, how will the trial go? And I'm going like, you know, I mean, that, that, that's 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 pretty much like uh, asking, you know, does the firing squad shoot straight? You know what I'm saying? I mean, they may not get you on the first round, but somebody will walk by and put a bullet in you. J- Jimmy's <laughs> going to be convicted. I mean, they're they're setting it up. They, it's going to happen. Um, I, I saw this very clearly in the uh in the way the uh, fraud case with the case for the part that was handled um people forget that and I, the reason why I'll go back on this is this started out as a commercial dispute which I was directly involved in I mean it was basically my office was the claim is what the, you know that that was that small it was tiny we literally had a commercial dispute going on with the, nobody was talking police well then the government came in and and, and they, they did a did a they did started looking at it. Of course, they were looking to get trip Jimmy up on stuff. Um, they somebody leaked it. They found it. They did their whatever they did their digging. I think they knew there was a commercial dispute going on. They grabbed it. The headlines. They grabbed it in the headlines and uh, and 
basically attacked on it. But the funny thing is, is that everybody forgets who did the attacking. The CID didn't do the attacking. The science park didn't do the attacking. In other words, the people who the CID is the criminal investigation division. The fraud guys didn't come in. It was investigated by the National Security Police Division. It was prosecuted by a national security prosecutor, and it was judged by a national security judge. My point is this, they wanted to make sure that this happened. And he got sentenced to basically close to 60 months. I think it was like 59 months for essentially a dispute where there really is no victim. In other words, nobody lost any money here. In other words, that you can you can say this was, is the the commercial thing where basically it's like if you're running a donut store but you also sell trinkets on their side, you say, oh, well, you said you want a donut store and you're selling trinkets, so we're going to put you in jail that, for five that's years. That's the perfect analogy. Look, yeah. the biggest problem that I've had with this fraud case, and it's very amusing. The biggest problem I've had is had having senior lawyers over here when I've talked to business groups say you've got to really have us describe it because nobody believes you. Nobody believes that this could be a criminal case. (laughs) I've literally been in two or three briefings of talking to business groups, like small business groups, and the lawyer in the room will brief it. Usually, you know, a friendly lawyer or something like that. Um, In in one case, it was out in the California. It was around the Stanford area. And a conservative lawyer said, this is what happened. He said, I've never seen anything like it in my life. You know, I practiced in London. This is everybody I've talked to. They know what this is. But here's my point. My point is they really are. J- Jimmy is uh, uh, is what they what they want, um, and that's what they're going to do. And he is he. They have to have this narrative. And and I tell people it's just I'd like to tell people that, um, um, oh, there's a chance here, but there is no chance. He's he's going down, and um, you know we'll see how long he's sentenced for. Um, we we do have some other things that I think the government is not counted on. Um, there is a guy testifying, or his testimony is coming out. I don't know if he's been on the stand yet, named Andy Lee. He was one of the uh, student, I wouldn't say student leaders, one of the young leaders. Um, I've never met the guy. I know Jimmy's never met the guy, but apparently we're his bosses, according to the gov- government. You're one of his bosses too, by the way. We're all his boss. <laughs> Excellent. And I'm so still- that's, that's what we found out. But what, what's come out and what's obvious, and, and we've known this for a while, we've all known this for a while, that people have kind of just, I think, unfortunately skated by it. Uh, the Washington Post writer Shabani uh, Mahatini and uh, Tim McLaughlin, uh, who, who worked, they wrote, wrote an article in The Atlantic together, but they also wrote a book called The Braves. They, they basically have come up with just insurmountable evidence that he was tortured. This guy, Andy Lee, was, who was crit- testifying against Jimmy, was tortured. And so now Andy has a full-on story about us, uh, and that works very well, except for when you start picking it apart, which I'm sure somebody is going to pretty soon. Mm-hmm. But this is a this is this kind of has changed the dynamic, I think, a little bit for Hong Kong, and they don't really realize it. I think they're going to wake up to that. That all of a sudden now it's like mm, torture, and Hong Kong set. I make this allegation clearly. They set this kid up to be tortured. They set these young guys up to be uh, brutalized. Because they left Hong, they were under surveillance already in Hong Kong. That, that's been in the press before and it's been leaked that the Hong Kong police had this small group of individuals that Andy Lee was a part of under surveillance. And this group was the 12 that tried to make it to Taiwan 
on a speedboat and they got caught by the Chinese police. That that's the story here. So what happened is they left Sai Kung Harbor, three of them, and then they went up to Taipo. The entire time, it looks like they were being tracked. In fact, there's no doubt about it. Then they left Taipo trying to make it on the speedboat to Taiwan. But here's the point when they were trying to make it to Taiwan from Taipo. The Hong Kong police, the, the civil air service and their police were up in a plane above them. And we know that because the plane buzzed them. In other words, so they knew they were there, but they let them cross into Chinese waters. They let them cross into where the Chinese Coast Guard would pick them up. Chinese Coast Guard picked them up, took them back to Guangzhou and effectively tuned up Andy and a couple of the other ones, by the way, you know, basically tortured him to get him to say what they wanted to say. Um, He came back to Hong Kong. He has been in a mental institution the entire time, along with another guy who's lying for a little bit other reasons. I mean, basically a lower sentence. So it's it's actually it's actually the torture angle, I think, is something that I don't think a lot of people really looked at. I think they can blow by it. They think they're going to be able to blow by it. But, you know, I don't think people in the international community are so ready to do that. And 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 yeah, well, to put that in perspective. So, you know, Hong Kong went from a place with no political prisoners where it wasn't, um, you know, a full blown democracy in the way of, of a Western one, but had some. Uh, you know, had elections and had some directly elected members of the legislative council. Um, But to go from that to then all of a sudden they have political prisoners, then they have this national security law. But you're right. It's it's a big deal that now they've gone uh, another step to to witnesses for the prosecution being tortured to provide evidence they want. I mean, that that's that's a huge evolutionary step. This isn't just, oh, well, they didn't, you know, they they did. one country, two systems for at least a couple of decades, and there's still some semblance left, and things aren't that bad unless you're in trying to, you know, create a political party or child. I mean, that, okay, that's one thing, but then to say, oh, but they also torture people to get what the evidence they want—that's a, a huge step, it seems like. No, it's 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 a monster step, and it's also, I think, for those who still—that's why I think it's so shocking. To us. it's going to be a real problem for the people who are still trying to. Pr- live in this bubble that Hong Kong is still a a regular city is the Hong Kong way basically was to let you out. I mean, I had a lot of dealings with the police over the years. And essentially, if you came to Hong Kong and you were causing trouble and that you were going to leave many times, that was just fine with them. I mean, in other words, that's also, it's just a thing, Singapore, Japan, the same way, as long as nobody has been physically hurt or somebody's nothing stolen and you're problematic, then you leave. And and I, I think the fact of the matter is, is they grabbed this guy up and they think they needed him to. And, and all of a sudden it became like, well, let's get let's get Jimmy Lai. One of the things that people forget, I think, is really important here is that early on when Jimmy was first arrested, they took him down to his yacht in Saikung. Hmm. And they took him to his yacht and they paraded him around. It's all in public. It's in the papers. Why did they do that? They were trying at that point in time to tie him into basically the escape of these individuals. And we know that because people who are no longer there in Hong Kong have told us that, that they were trying to say, okay, Jimmy, did Jimmy pay for the boat? Did Jimmy pay for this? Did Jimmy do that? You know, in other words, did he, did he, did he help them abscond? And they were openly speculating that he did, and he didn't. We didn't have any 
notion of it, you know. Um, but it is a very, it is a very disturbing, um, in other words, precursor to, to what happens. They, they've locked in on a narrative early that Jimmy was the mastermind and all these things. And, you know, it, it, it's always been that way, though. It's, it's always been, it's been very, very strange. I, I, I can tell people, um, I remember in 2012 and, um, you know, very, very difficult. Like, here's the thing that people never know. I never met Joshua Wong until 2019. Mm-hmm. Only time I ever so met Joshua, him. Joshua was quite big during the Umbrella yeah. Movement, which was in 2012. Young guy then, still young. And, uh, That's right. Uh, but that was, you know, sort of spontaneous I, disruption of commerce any... in Central. And then, and so a lot, a lot different than what would, what would occur. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, ne- I, I never, 19. I never met Joshua. I met Nathan because Nathan would come to like Western receptions and things like that. But I never talked to Nathan much more than saying hello. Yeah. yeah I mean, we're just, it's, so the thing is, is like this great, um, I always tell people, I said, you know, I'm, I'm just always so impressed with all the things that I'm giving credit for. And, you know, and Jimmy just rolls his eyes. But this is another thing that people forget. In 2012, we had the patriotic demonstration, the patriotic education, where C.Y. Lung was trying to put like, you know, pro-communist propaganda and education to the schools. Well, the story what happened there is a bunch of mothers got on Facebook. In fact, it's really almost historic in social media. It was really the first kind of basically the mothers got together and said, no, no, no. And this group grew from like 40 women to 80 women, to 800 women, to 8,000 women, to 40,000, you know, people in this, in this, in this mother's group that was opposing patriotic education. And so, but they were really just kind of opposing it, you know, almost like going to school board meetings. Then the young kids came along, which was Joshua and, 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 and a bunch of the other kids came, Joshua and, and Nathan, who were really only 13, 14, 15 years old. And they took it to the, they took it to town. They're the ones who really drove it across. They drove it over there. They started doing the public demonstrations. They started doing, we had no interaction with them whatsoever. Other than one thing we owned that Jimmy owns Apple daily and Apple daily, of course, covered it quite extensively. It was very much, you know, basically uh, uh, saying these kids have a point, let's do it. Like, you know, they were basically covering, covering it from all angles, but, it was really seen as, you know, uh, uh, what's basically as a, a, a movement by most people of these young people. Nobody really thought any more than just, well, Apple Daily, of course, is on their side, which we were. But the funniest thing that happened about a year later, after the kids won and after everything settled down, I remember, <laughs> so, I remember I was out at a lunch and I was confronted by a couple of guys who I wouldn't say they're pro Beijing, but they're, you know, they don't, they don't really like all the, they, they're more comfortable with like an authoritarian regime that makes business good. And these are not dumb guys and they're sitting there and they're talking to me and they're going, well, you guys really had a big win. You, and they, they telling me that you guys won, you guys won this and you guys won that. And there was a journalist, I won't say who it is sitting at our table, international journalist um, of, of some, of some decent reputation. And I said, well, we had nothing to do with it. We had nothing to do with it. And he's like, what do you mean they didn't believe me? And at the end of the thing, the journalist looks at me, he goes, Mark, seriously, do you think anybody in this town is going to believe our CY Lung is going to pick up the phone, who was his chief executive then, and say, hey, Beijing, 
I just got my ass kicked by a bunch of 13 and 14 year olds. Or is he going to pick up the phone and say that damn Jimmy lie did it again? The point is they don't give anybody agency for anything. You know, it's like, oh, two million people turned out on the streets. It was Apple Daily. I, I still remember people telling people that we paid people. And I was just interested, like, what do we have, a giant PayPal account? Or did we use Venmo? Or what, how did we do that? You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, two million people, what was the going rate? You know, I mean, this this is the this the, the problem you have is is that they 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 spread lies and you know, fortunately they're now being debunked pretty effectively. But they don't need to lie to everybody. They just need to make sure that they have a story and then they're going to go with it. And that's that's the whole thing. Jimmy's part of a narrative. That's how I see it. People ask me all the time. As far as the details and everything, I'll let the defense lawyers handle that. I think they've got it well on hand, you know. But the torture thing really, I, I don't really, I, I don't see how people, the Hong Kong police had to know. They're not stupid. They've been dealing with China for a long time. They had to know that when they put these kids in the hands of the mainland, something bad was going to happen. And they had to know that. They had to know that. And and they're using information derived from that. And then they come back and they put the they put the two main guys in a mental institution, which is not Lam Su Lam is not a nice place. You know, I know I know where they're standing, I know where they're being kept. But you don't put them there, you know. So I I think it's uh, I I think it's pretty obvious that you know coercive means were were used. I think they have a very tough time. The government's have a very tough time denying this. Well, that's you know. and that's the thing. So um, before we open the aperture to China around the world, but um, I mean, they're thinking this helps them. They have intentionally selected a very long trial that appears like it'll run for more than half the year. Uh, they think this is sort of helpful. And to me, uh, you know, you sort of look back on on. I, I don't, and I'm usually very cautious with Hitler analogies, but with the Nazi show trials uh, after the assassination attempt on Hitler or the Soviet show trials, and you're just like, how, how do they think this helps them domestically or abroad? And this is almost worse, not that I'm saying they're worse than the Nazis or the Soviets. What I'm saying is that they um, think they're doing brilliant public relations here and this is somehow going to help them. And it seems like a daily advertisement to how, First of all, the guys in Hong Kong, the, the authorities are keystone cops. They're trying to impress Beijing. They are failing. And you have the press around the world united in a way that almost you have to go back to 9-11 to see uh, from the UK Guardian on, on one side to the Wall Street Journal, uh, all the wire services, um, sort of you name it with regional press that think this is ridiculous, that it's 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 an unfair, it's a show trial. Uh, and... Uh, you know, again, not 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 getting ahead of ourselves, but I would presume if he is allowed to, that Jimmy would take the stand, and that will be sort of this Mandela-like figure speaking in Cantonese to, to the people of Hong Kong in a way that that no one has. Well, I I, I do think that uh, they have not thought that through. I don't know the plans yet. I mean, look, I am a co-conspirator. Um, I have been that in that position for a long, long time. Um, it was kind of interesting. Early on, the Hong Kong government, for whatever reason, I was getting the, uh, the, the, the documents for like the indictments on Jimmy. Like I had a lawyer who was getting them, you know what I'm saying? It was like, whatever. So I've got a few of, of the early stuff. I've got that. And, um, you know, of course, I've, they've stopped and I, I stopped becoming an, an open. 
but I know there's warrants out for my arrest on almost, I think it's, I've got, I'm told it's, well, it's probably these three that Jimmy are tried on because I'm on all three of those, you know, those three. And then it would also be previous ones too, of course, the fraud case. Mm-hmm. And then the time you Jay walked on uh, Nathan Road. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're the whole the whole running naked through Central thing during the trial. <laughs> Unfortunately, my body type in Hong Kong, I just can't deny that one. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm not going to be able to say it with some other guy. You know what I'm saying? That's like, uh, just real quick for everybody. I told you that story one time when we were out watching the protest, and there was this like very large guy who was like six foot seven, um, Hong Kong guy, like six foot seven, six foot six, big kid. And we're standing there and like, you know, he's dressed in all black and all that stuff. And he's going like, oh, nobody knows who I am. And like I'm with a bunch of journalists and all the Hong Kong, you idiot. Everybody knows who you are. You know, you're, six, you're the only six foot plus, you know, the, the only six, five plus guy in Hong Kong. Get the hell out of here. You know, fortunately, I know he's not in Hong Kong anymore. That's why I tell that okay. story. But it's a great it's I mean, in other words, it's 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 that, that they all this stuff with like Mark Simon moved this money and that money. People forget. I was picked up by the, I was like, I got picked up in Shenzhen in 2004. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I've been dealing with the ICAC and the CID. They've been in my bank accounts for like 18 years. You know what I'm saying? They've frozen all my bank accounts. They write people. You know what I'm saying? In 2014, they contacted HSBC Hong Kong about money that was transferred. In 2019, they transferred. I can't move... I can't move money internationally from a couple of accounts because of, 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 of what happened. I mean, most all of, I've straightened all this out. I don't really believe in going and running out and going, I'm being, I just fix it and move on. And, and fortunately for me, the three banks that I've had to deal with have been very good about like, on okay, you know, we know who you are. However, you're still not allowed to do this, (laughs) (laughs) which I don't care. But the thing is, is that, um, I, I do believe, you know, that essentially Hong Kong's really the turning point, but you know, I'll, I'll take this into another subject. And the reason why I think it's so detrimental to China is I have to tell you, Christian, I don't really know how China recovers. Now I, I saw something, a good Bloomberg story the other day, entry level salaries for young people have dropped over 20%. So in other words, if you were hiring a guy, for a marketing job in 2021 and you're hiring in 2013, you've gone from, say you're paying the guy 20,000 RMB a month to 16,000. Inflation has gone up, you know, in that time, say 12%, say 6% a year to be completely conservative. So in other words, where you should have had that job taken up, this is not really a 30, it's a 30% cut in real wages in terms of starting. And you're facing that, you're, you're dealing with that in terms of a, a shrinking late entry level labor force because of the population depression. I don't know how to model that. I don't, I don't know what model gets you out of that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, people say, well, the pure economic growth, mm-hmm. but are you going to get pure economic growth when you have Xi Jinping celebrating Mao? Right. I, I I don't know how this ends. I, I mean, I know how it ends, but I hope it ends peacefully. But I don't see any hope other than the fact, you know, America's picking up. I, I saw something from Michael Yan the other day. He's that combat correspondent, you know what I'm saying? 
and 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 Michael's a little over the top for me. I love Michael, but he's a little over top for me in terms of like calling it an invasion and all that stuff. But he's not wrong in the sense that there are a lot of Chinese coming over the southern border. I, I was told the other day that they think it's probably been this year, 2023, over 75,000. You know, and, and you think and so let's buy and are these these are just people looking for a better economic circumstance and they're mostly young I, men or I, is it families I, or some of them, you know, the sinister claim is that some of them may be uh, able to form a fifth column in the U.S. if we have a war. Um, but I doubt that. Right. I, I love the quote from the U.S. ambassador in 1917. He's in Austria. He's having, I mean, in, in London and he's having dinner and I can't remember the guy's name. And the the German ambassador is saying to him, you know, Mr. Mr. Ambassador, American ambassador. Um, it's in the book, Dark Nation by Sidney Blumenthal. It, he tells the story. I've heard it before from other people too. He tells the U.S. ambassador, you know, there are over a million Germans who live in, our two million Germans who live in America who are immigrants are you really sure you want to support the English and risk their wrath? And he goes, yeah. And there are 2 million, there are 2 million light poles in the United States to have every one of those guys swinging from one of those, hang them. I never really worry about the fifth column too much other than in the business community and the political lobbying, even the political lobbying. I don't worry about it so much because it gets found out. It's really the deviousness in the business community. And it's usually our only, our, the, our own greedy sons of bitches who are doing it. You know what right. I'm saying? In other words, it's 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 the Chinese try all they want. They try to do things. That's it. But I'm not worried about a fifth column because I think the blowback would be so incredible. It's one of the reasons why if you see like they attacked Anna Wu and they attacked um, at Joey Sue and they attacked Francis and they attacked these young women over here. In But it's inside the ethnic group. You know what I'm saying? Hoping nobody notices. Um, the day these guys wear come walking down the street um, with red flags. I don't care whether it's in Queens or whether it's in uh, California and start like doing anti-American stuff, holding, you know, the, 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 the communist flag. I think there'll be an ass kicking of epic proportion. You know, I, I, right. I think, I don't think the Chinese community wants any of that. And I think they really, I happen to know many of them get very upset when they have the, like their favorite uncle who's out there saying Xi Jinping is a great man, you know, <laughs> right. I, I don't, I don't see the threat. I think it's a net plus for us. Um, ah. I wish it just, I just wish it would be much more orderly. It's the, the problem is, is the disorder and the abuse that happens to these people before they get across. So they show up. But when you watch Michael's videos, you can see, I mean, you see guys coming over and they're supposedly walking into the UN refugee camp and they have spotless tennis shoes. Nobody comes to the Darien Gap in spotless tennis shoes. What happens is you you flew into Ecuador. You took a private plane from Ecuador to an airport in Mexico. You got off. You got on a bus. And then you got driven to a mile outside of the play, the, the, the camp. And then you walked in. I, I saw a video of a woman. She's literally, literally wearing, it looks like just this beautiful blouse. Nobody wears that blouse coming in. And, I, and I've heard from people, this is really what's going on. But look, it's our benefit. But most of these people coming over from what I've seen, from what I've talked to people who are down on the border, and I've talked to one or two uh, Chinese groups, most of them are economic refugees. They're not even political refugees. 
which they're supposed to be. They're economic refugees. They just can't make it in China anymore. I think the most nefarious we probably see, I'm sure we see some triad guys. I'm sure we see some women coming over to go into prostitution, unfortunately, you know, who are being trafficked um, or trafficking themselves. Um, But I also think that, um, um, you know, interested for debt. But I also think a lot of it is also people escaping debt, but just people getting out. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, to be honest with you, Michael interviews some of these people and they just want to come to America. You know what I'm saying? They're not stopping. Right. You know? Right. So, but I, but I think that's a reflection of the hopelessness in China. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's, it's <laughs> when people are fleeing a place, it just undermines any argument that things are, are going well. And that applies here to the U.S. States. Just quickly it, before we go, while we're still on the topic of economics uh, and China's economy. So a lot of Chinese goods going to Europe go through the Red Sea on the way to the Suez Canal, the way to the Mediterranean, which puts you in Europe. Um, and the Houthi have that not completely bottled up, but still, I think Maersk and a bunch of other big shipping companies, BP, are sending their stuff around the Horn of Africa. Um, the U.S. Navy is lessening its presence there. The Gerald Ford aircraft carrier and her group are heading home. They were held over a little bit when this crisis erupted. But it's interesting. We see another crisis. Uh, China has run its mouth a little bit about this, but offers absolutely nothing in terms of helping to secure this crucial waterway. Um, and uh, I don't know. Is that mis- I mean, would the crimp look, on, on exports you. actually have an, have an impact on 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 China's well, economy? Let, 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 let me ask you. I mean, you you're much better at strategic stuff than I am. I mean, I'll, but I mean, what do you think? How serious do you think the Iranians are about this? I mean, are they really looking to shut stuff down, or are they looking to like do selective? In other words, is a Costco, a China Ocean ship going to get through, or and then nobody else? They're only going to go after Zim, the Israeli ships. I mean, how, how serious? Because the Houthis are basically—I mean—that's an Iranian proxy group. That's right. Now, I think they're testing still. I don't—I don't think they've decided how big they're going to go, and they want to see what the pushback from the U.S. is. Um, Britain and France also, you know, some naval capability there, um, and also to see how the Saudis are reacting. I mean, the Saudis in the UAE were at war with the Houthis, and we, including. Great moralists like Robert Menendez, the indicted senator from New Jersey, saying what you're doing, what what the Saudis and what the Emiratis are doing in Yemen is is bad. These are human rights violations. This this war must end, leaving the Iranian proxy in power. Also, the Houthis shot a bunch of ballistic missiles at Saudi Arabia and the UAE, and the United States did nothing. I mean, I think we sell them patriots, but the but uh, <laughs> these are people who thought we would at least be involved in their defense somewhat since we have informal, we don't have formal treaties, but informal defense agreements and we were nowhere to be found. Uh, and so now it's this question I was asking people on Capitol today, are the Saudis telling us that we should do more or are they telling us don't do anything because we don't want you to to hit a bee's uh, hive and then and then walk away? And the response was that so far, the, the despite everything that's happened in Israel, despite what um, Hamas, which is an Iranian proxy, and Hezbollah and the Houthi are doing, the administration is still determined to have some sort of negotiated deal or a sustainable relationship with Iran and that there's not going to be a serious pushback. So to me, that sounds like there will be will be escalation. Um, now, Iran does sell a lot of oil to China. It sells at below market prices in violation of 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 sanctions. But um, so I don't think they're going to go out of their way to irritate China. Uh, But, um, you know, China, uh, 
benefits tremendously and has, uh, you know, U.S. naval protection of the global commons as its cause. You might call it naval domination since, you know, 44, 45, late take Gulf for the end of the war. Uh, chips and nothing, offers nothing, brings nothing to the table. So um, it's actually kind of, in that sense, I guess it's it's a little bit of a happy reminder that even though China is trying to put these little points of pressure and power around the world, they have something in the Horn of Africa, they turn up at times in the Mediterranean, um, that they really can't project power now and they can't really bring anything to bear, whether it's it's money or intelligence or peacekeeping or governance or anything in, in, in these international crises. They still are, uh, in some ways, at least a regional mindset. I'd agree. I think the other thing is, is that I know all people in the freight world are like, oh, this is a big deal. Look, at the end of the day, if it, the freight's delayed and it has to go around a different way or has to take a longer way around or this or that, the fact of the matter is we spent 2020 and 2000 to 2022 with ships backed up for 45 or 50 days. Where? On, the, on just postal courts. You know, in other words, you couldn't, you were always 25, 30 days behind. The Panama Canal has been running low because of low water levels or something like that for months. So the fact that you add another seven days somewhere in the Middle East to a container ship or a container or a shipload of iron ore or something like that, basically, all right, well, that adds, say that adds another $20,000 a day to a ship, so $100,000 a voyage. So that works out to roughly one cent per day per pound of coal or two cents per day, two cents per day per sneakers, you know what I'm saying? In other words, I, right. I think the economic implications are not what people think they are at this point in time. I think if they close it, which I think is a possibility, which the Iranians may not want, but if they if they can find a way to control it and cause cause chaos, I think that's a much more dangerous, a much more dangerous thing. I think the problem with my logic, and I know it's the logic that it's not a very good one, is it assumes that chaos is okay. And the fact of the matter is you don't get the efficiencies that you that you need in the international economy. So the Chinese basically, um, their U.S. market and their European market, they just service from a different way. In other words, they have round-the-world ships now. They make those smaller. They make them Panamax, which means they can go through the Panama Canal, and they just go that way, or they bring it, they bring it around another way. Adds what eight, nine, ten days just changes the flow of goods for China. Right. You know, in other words, they start they start it in Singapore. I mean, sorry, they start it in Shanghai. It comes to L.A. The ship goes around and around and around. Then from New York, the ship just goes over. Now that's not really an effective thing to do, but simple fact of the matter is those big ships escorted those giant container ships are getting through the Gulf. Uh, through this Gulf and through there, and the Houthis aren't hitting every one of them. And also, quite frankly, if you hit a hit a giant container ship, and this is Maersk's position, it's like, all right, you know, how bad is it going to be? As long as you can't take control of it, which Maersk is basically loading like twenty special for ex special forces guys on it who are basically drinking beer and having a laugh. You know, <laughs> um, it's impossible to board those things if they don't want you to board them. I mean, the idea that you could, you know, like they show the one where the helicopter comes down. Well, the helicopter came down. There was nobody there to stop it. 
Okay. Right. right. But if you had a special, if you had like ex special forces guys on there and they're flying a helicopter and you try to land a helicopter on a ship, they'll blow you out of the sky. All right. They, once they know you're coming, they, you know, they've got the heavy machine guns to do it. They'll cut you down like rats. They're highly trained, but getting away from the Rambo stuff. I, I do think that I, I do think it's just amazing to me that we're seeing once again that the Chinese, the, the, the funny thing about it is the Chinese go, oh, it's not really in our interest. And they're like, tee hee hee we are really making you do things. That's not how the world looks at it. But the world looks at it as like, basically, you guys, you're just worthless. Like you said, in Ukraine, you're worthless. You don't do anything. You're a declining power. And that's the funniest thing about Xi Jinping is like, all right. You can beat up Hong Kong all day long. That's inside of you. That's going to make you tough. But globally, worldwide, I think the next place we're going to see, and then I'll finish after this one, is the next place we're going to see just to end is in Africa. I think the Chinese are done in Africa. That's going to start happening pretty soon. And that's because the U.S. the U.S. and Europe aren't going to be investing in China anymore. And it doesn't take a lot of money to start flowing down into Africa. And who would you rather deal with? Let's be perfectly honest with you. You know, the Chinese are not well-liked in Africa. They got money, but other than that, they're not well-liked. So I think the U.S. companies can come in there and they can start doing things. And we'll start seeing Chinese manufacturers shift to uh, to work with the U.S. US buyers and the European buyers. And that changes everything. Once Wal- I mean, in fairness, people don't understand it. Once Walmart, Target, and everybody else starts buying and starts trying to put in some of these codes of conduct, that changes the factories. It does. I've seen it many, many times. You, you, when you go to a place like Myanmar and when you go to some other places and you see the guys who are selling to China, the guys who are selling to Southeast Asia, they are literally indentured save, servant slots. And then a mile down the road, the guy who's selling to Adidas, the guy who's selling this. Yeah, it's not someplace I'd want my kids to grow up, but it's a hell of a lot better than this place. And they're always working on it. They're always working on those things. And I know it sounds cynical, but my, my point being is, is that changes the populace very quickly. Like you go to the Philippines or something like that. The Philippines or those places, if, the, if a U.S. manufacturer opens up, everybody tries to get over there because they know they're going to be treated better. Because they know they have. That's the manufacturer. That's where we do things. British, too. Same thing. Germans, surprisingly, yes. <laughs> yeah. With a 35-hour work week. All right, let's leave it there. That's all the time we have for this episode of Simon Wine. We'll be back with another episode with Mark from Taiwan very soon. Bye-bye.